Now, sometimes it's really difficult to tell how a child is doing, especially if we're not extra aware of their situation. Today, my guest Michelle Niedert will be chatting about warning signs to look for in our kids to see if they're okay. Michelle is a licensed professional counselor, author, speaker, and clinical director of the Community Counseling Associates in Dallas, Texas. As a sought-after leader by mental health professionals, churches, and school districts, Michelle created a crisis intervention program for a large suburban school district intervening in the lives of thousands of students and their families. Michelle lent her mental health and parenting expertise as co-author of Loved and Cherished, a devotional for twin girls, and is also co-host of the Raising Brave Beauties podcast, which will be relaunching in May as Raising Mentally Healthy Kids. Welcome to the Gems of Mother Michelle, it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Sharon. I'm so excited to talk to you about this subject because it's so important when I think a lot of parents are worried right now, don't you? Absolutely. I'm even more excited than you. I mean, (laughs) you've got such a great wealth of information. And I think in today's society, today's world, so much are happening and we may not necessarily be aware of things when we're so busy. And last year completely changed every household when kids had to basically work study remote or parents had to, certain moms had to give up their jobs to take care of their kids. And so there are a lot of transitioning going on. Yeah, we had a lot of transitions in our home. My husband used to travel for a living. And so we had to create very quickly two offices because I started delivering telehealth counseling out of my my, um, kind of storage room slash office. It was kind of the overflow spot in the house. And we were just grateful we had that much space. We never realized how important it would become to us. But we had to get used to living together every week, all day long. (laughs) And then even making, like even today, he's like, who's picking up at Sophia at 2.30? And I'm like, dude, I already have this handled and it's five o'clock and you're not usually involved. Let me do my therapy, you know? So we just had those kind of bumps along the way. And then you're right. We had both kids in our house, one living his best life because he loves (laughs) online school and being wrapped in a blanket during his day. And, um, And then we had another child who actually is in a university model school where she goes three days a week because she's real active in theater. And then she does school at home two days. Okay. But the Zoom was killing her. She was an extrovert, so depressed Mm. um, as she was not getting enough just time with friends and the distraction of that as an adolescent. So, yeah, I get it. It's been tough for sure. Yeah. I mean, as we're talking about all these transitionings, you know, and like you said, your daughter was just not doing well in Zoom because she's such an extrovert. Now, with our children, young children and the older children, what are some signs of a troubled child that you could see, especially going through this time of transitioning? Well, I'm definitely going to answer your question with some signs. But before we even do that, I want to encourage you to talk to your kids to to, first of all, we need to be able to to talk with them about small things and listen Mm -hmm. well to that. But then we need to talk with them and ask them good questions. And that's what I'm really getting out there in the public arena right now, saying to parents, ask them this question, which surprised me when I got the answer. Here I am a mental health professional. I know how to assess Um, the different states of emotional and mental health in people, but you do that through a questionnaire and Mm -hmm. an interview process in the office. So I asked my daughter in the car, like, and I guess COVID had been going on about a month. And I said, when's the last time you cried? Mm. She said, mom, I have cried every day for the last two weeks. Oh, wow. And I was shocked. I said, where's this going on? She goes in my room at night when the doors closed. 
And I thought that can, and I'm always telling parents that you don't always know what's going on in a kid's mind and heart, Mm. especially if they think you're going to worry about them or they don't want to bother you. I mean, she was like, I'm like, why did we not talk about that? And she was like, what are you going to do? You can't let me go back to school, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know you're dealing with a lot of serious issues in your office with like suicide and self-harm and eating disorder. She hears all this. So she's thinking her crying for two weeks straight is not a big deal. It's a big deal to me as her mom. And we immediately made some changes. We started parking lot socializing is what I like to call it, where we, you know, 10 feet apart, minivans and SUVs up and the trunks are up and we had to make some changes. And we also opened a COVID circle a little bit with a couple other families and just decided we, in order to survive this, not only medically, but also socially and emotionally, this is where our family needed to be. Mm. And I think a lot of families have done that. I think they found kind of a lane with that now, but I still think, let me tell you what I'm seeing. First of all, you already heard this on Sissy Goff's interview, but I want to reinforce these numbers Mm -hmm. because I think they're really important. That was a great interview on understanding your kids' emotions you did with her. But she talked about the statistics before we got into this season was one in four kids will have a mental health diagnosis by the time they're 18. Yeah. Now it's one in three. We're seeing that in adults. We're seeing that in kids. These are some pretty, and here's what I'm seeing. I am seeing kids have anxiety and it not taking, normally kids will have anxiety. And as they feel more and more hopeless that that anxiety is going to get better, yeah. They'll become depressed. But and in the past, that took quite a while to happen. Right. You know, I have a lot of parents who say, I wish I hadn't ignored my kids anxiety. So that's where I think we need to ask our kids, you know, how what are you worried about? Mm-hmm. That's another great question to ask them. What's something mm-hmm. that concerns you right now? When you have downtime, what do you spend a lot of time thinking? I think we're seeing kids and us adults cope by being distracted. We're distracted in conversation. We try to talk to people to keep ourselves distracted from our worries. We, you know, we're Netflix binging like no other culture has ever done. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And part of that, I just want to confess that and normalize that. But we've got to be careful because we know, you know, I like with my son, he's being distracted. He loves to play video games to be distracted. Mm -hmm. I've got a 10 year old boy and that's so common, but The problem is I want his frontal lobe to develop. And that's the front part of your brain right here. I'm touching it for you. (laughs) You know, um, that doesn't finish until it's 25. Well, we've got some real concerns because as we're talking to neurologists, when you're in fight or flight mode, all the blood rushes to your amygdala, which is is that fight, flight part of your brain. And a lot of us have been living in our amygdala a lot lately. Mm. And the concern with that is your frontal lobe's not getting the blood flow it needs to make executive management decisions, logical decisions, manage your emotions, all those things. So now we're seeing kids like young adult brains not fully developing till 28 to 30. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if being in that amygdala stage too long is keeping that blood flow. We, we don't know that for sure, but we know right. something starting to delay that process. So I think it's really important. We're asking, we're, we're looking at our kids and what they're doing. Yeah. And not only looking at, are they happy? Because kids will be happy when they're distracted. So if you're watching them watch a movie, play a game, talk to their friends. I was just had a conversation with a 12-year-old in the office yesterday. I was assessing. And she is great when she's doing those things. What gets really hard for her is when she's got the downtime. Mm. And what we know good mental health looks like is that you can be at peace even in the downtime. So something you can ask your kids is, how do you feel when you're doing nothing? Mm. That's another great question to ask them. Here's another one. And this gets into more like the signs and symptoms you can look at. Yeah. Are you sleeping? 
We know we've got some mental health issues potentially going on with some worry and anxiety when kids can't fall asleep like yeah. they used to. And I have a lot of parents asking about that right now. They want us in their rooms. They want to be in our rooms more. You've got a young one. You're probably dealing with that, you know, a little <laughs> bit too. I call it the bed bounce back where is she trying to bounce out a little bit every now and then? Or do you have that down pretty well? It's pretty good right now. I mean, that we so good. Yeah, we moved in January and obviously, you know, transitions are hard on young kids. Yeah. Um, during that time, yeah, she, she came down a couple of times, but now she's actually pretty good. Uh, so she's in her own room in her own bed. And so let yeah. me ask you a couple of questions about that. Do you yeah, have sure. a bedtime routine with her? I do. You do. Yeah. Most most parents do. What do you do with your kids at night before you go to bed? <laughs> well, she takes a shower and yeah. then I. And why is that good? Let's talk about that for people to understand. Yeah, sure. Hot muscular heat on that ba- on that body. You're right. Body temperature, and that's a trick I talk to a lot of mental health patients about who are having trouble sleeping. When you fall asleep, your body temperature naturally lowers. Right. So if you drink something warm or you take a hot bath or shower, you'll raise your body temperature. It'll help you get sleepy faster. So yeah. that's a great thing to do for our kids is to warm them up a little. Right. And help them fall asleep. <laughs> it helps me fall asleep better too. <laughs> yeah, it does me too. I, I always tell my husband, like, I'm going to go do something therapeutic. And he's like, I'm like, I'm going to go take a hot bath. Like, oh my gosh, you're the only woman who can turn that into. But really the research says you take a hot bath three to five times a week. Yeah. It's as effective as a low dose of an anti-anxiety medication. Oh, wow. I never yeah. knew that. Isn't that fascinating? That's great. Yeah. Really interesting. So we do. We want my daughter. I know when she's stressed. I know this sounds crazy, but I, also you want to study your kids. Right. Learn their habits and learn when their habits are changing. Yeah. So I can tell when my daughter's more stressed because she takes more baths and showers. She'll True. go straight from school into a hot bath and I'll know it's been a rough day. She's oh, wow. chilling out. Well, for me, it's ice cream. <laughs> called dopamine 101 Sharon you are getting a good hit of dopamine with that there are so and we have to be careful of this you know I think I mine was my daughter's making chocolate chip cookies and I have literally gained a good COVID-15 right so I am I'm having to work on that because yeah. it is easy to crave dopamine when you're not getting it from other sources and we right. are looking to sugar. And unfortunately, a lot of moms are looking to wine, which I think in moderation is fine, but mm-hmm. we've got to be careful because that's a depressant Absolutely. and you could literally be taking a mild antidepressant. And if you're drinking two glasses of wine at night, if you've upped from one glass to two glasses yeah. a night, you're, you're upping the chance that that antidepressant is going to be as effective. Right. Right. Because it's going to affect the serotonin levels in your body. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you were talking, I love what you said about the questions, you know, when was the last time you cried? Going back to what you just said, because not many, I don't think a lot of parents would ask your kids that when was the last time you cried or, you know, how did you feel today? And whatnot. You, you may need to be a little more specific because how did you feel? You're going to get a fine and a meh. If they're in middle school, you'll get the emoji meh. But that's where I think getting a little more specific. I, right. I ask my kids pretty often, what was, when was the last time you got angry and what was it about? Sometimes yeah. it's about me and I want to know that. You yeah. know, what did I do to hack them off this week in Texas language? But right. um, it's important for us to ask those questions. What are some things you're worried about? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you and Sissy talked about emotions and, Mm -hmm. but we want to get, we want it to be comfortable and we want to talk about it. You know, I had it, and this is what's going on with all of us. Like we can have a day where we're like on top of the world and we feel like we got this. And then the next day, like all of a sudden everything seems a little shaky. 
And then we got hormones. I mean, you would love my world because I am doing puberty and menopause at the same time. Like I got one who's 13 and I'm 50. So we are in this like, you know, so you never know even with the hormones what's going on. But I think of all times in this country, it is so important that we're talking about our emotions, but we are not letting our emotions drive the bus. They need to be on the bus of our lives. And I do not think they lie to us or anything like that. I think they are indicators of things to us. So the way I teach kids that we drive the bus is with our thoughts, Mm -hmm. with our brains and how we take care of our bodies. Mm. So we want to make sure that that bus is being driven. And so I teach even little kids in my counseling office. Yeah. Instead of thinking about how you feel when you wake up in the morning, decide how you want to feel. Like we can do it with you. Mm -hmm. How would you like to feel tomorrow morning when you wake up? On top of the world. Okay. Okay. What do you have to think to feel that way? Give you a thought. Uh, I don't know. Get into a spa with no kids and husband. (laughs) That's called safe place. And that's where you go into an escape. And I love that. And we all sometimes need to, in our minds, go to the beach, go to the, oh girl, you and I could go to the spa together. I can (laughs) tell that would be awesome. We're going to have to do that if I come up north for sure. Yes. um, Yes, but also think maybe like this. So you want to feel on top of the world. What if you thought God and I've got this day, no matter what happens? Mm. How would you feel? Yeah, feel pretty good. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, speaking so, of, speaking life into your spot into yourself. Yes. Yes. So maybe that's the first thing you decide to think in the morning when you wake up. Mm-hmm. You put it on your screensaver on your phone or on a sticky note on your phone, so you don't even open it first. Right. You put it on your mirror. You put it on a couple places. So that way, then we've got, instead of thinking, if I wake up and I ask how I feel, I feel sleepy and I want to stay in bed. Almost always, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I have a busy business and um, travel and speak and I got kids and, you know, I'm my husband and I sometimes joke that we're going to draw straws to see who has to do the night pickup, like the 10 o'clock pickup from theater. Yeah. We want to go to bed. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're tired. And so if I don't want to feel sleepy all morning, I got to have a new thought to think. Right. And this is something I think we can teach our kids too. Yeah. You know, what are you thinking as you wake up in the morning? Mm. You know what, what a lot of our kids are thinking? I'm overwhelmed. I have mm. too much to do. I don't want to go to school. Too much mm. pressure. They have all these negative thoughts and they are fueling emotions of just we are seeing some of the highest statistics we've ever seen anxiety is increasing by 94 percent in this country in teenagers wow it's the pandemic so we've got to get them to work on what they're telling themselves and to hold on to some hope that it's you know some things i said to myself at the beginning of the pandemic is this isn't going to last forever right it lasts a lot longer than i thought but yeah it's going to last forever we can do this. Yeah. I, I did. I was, a, I spoke at one conference that was called, we can do hard things. That's a great line to, to teach kids to say in the morning. I can do hard things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I mean, like those are great. Those are speaking life into them, helping them to speak life into themselves, you know, and, and they're going through all these different stresses. What are the common potential stresses that we should look for as parents If we don't ask them the questions, like you said earlier, you know, when your daughter is stressed, she comes back home and she goes and take a hot bath, right? Yeah. What what are some potential stresses that parents should look for in their young children and also for their older teens? 
Okay, so let's kind of take this apart. Let's deal with your crew first, okay? So we'll deal with the little toddlers and the preschoolers. They are learning to add words to their emotions. Mm -hmm. So a great coping skill to work with them on. The biggest things I worked with my kids on, and you do want to understand development of your children because then you kind of know what they're, what, you know, I love Sissy's book, Are My Kids on Track? Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of knowing like in preschool, what do we want? Yeah. So in that age, the two things socially and emotionally, they, they need to learn how to play nice, mm-hmm. right? And they need to learn how to shake it off if somebody doesn't want to play with them, learn that give and take socially. And then emotionally, we want them, the biggest thing that I worked on with my kids, and I think Sissy mentioned this too, is I had a calm down step. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that calm down step, I had a little toolbox of like pinwheels, squishy balls, like, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really taught my kids, like, if you're in trouble, the first thing we deal with is not anything but calming down. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes I, as a mom, I want to be totally real here. I, I spent more time in my timeout room, which was my bedroom, than they ever spent on their calm down step. <laughs> because all that emotion is exhausting and overwhelming. Right, of course. So especially if you add a two or three in there and you've got like these moms that I treat for postpartum who've got like three kids under five. Oh my you know, gosh. That's, there are a I lot of things going on in that house. So Really and truly, it's learning to keep yourself calm first, teaching your kids to do that calm down skill. And then the next thing that I had to teach a lot is use your words. Mm -hmm. Use your words. We don't need to use your fit, you know, because they like to throw themselves down on the floor. And sometimes you kind of want to do it with them almost. You you kind of go, I want to go in my room and kind of throw myself down on the bed and kick and scream a little too. But but that's energy and motion. And these kids have got a lot of it. And they're they're trying to get it out. And that's why, like, I mean, I would. I would be like, let's go to the park before nap because I need to get that energy out. Right. Right? Yes. And so we need to teach our kids to manage that energy and that frustration. Kids Mm -hmm. at that age do not like the sound of no. Because they feel pretty helpless, you know, in that stage. Then we get into the school age kids. And man, the stress ramps up fast. We go from like kindergarten where it's all play and there's no grades Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to state testing and teachers giving rewards based on how well you do and these honor roll systems and then all other awards that are coming. And all of a sudden, and this is why we wrote Loved and Cherished for these girls. Yeah. The messages of the world start coming through. You need to look a certain way. You need to be able to perform a certain way. You need to be accepted by certain people or a lot of them, or you're not good enough. Yeah. And then we add to that, which you just went through, and a lot of families go through in in that age range, is a lot of times the family's growing, you move into a bigger home, you switch neighborhoods, we've got school transitions as they move from elementary to middle school, and they go from, and here's what we know research-wise, because, you know, I was in the public education system for a long time. Yeah. Still most connected in schools of less than 700. Wow. About the size of our middle and high schools in America. Wow. It's like I'm in a I'm in a culture here where it is very well known that if your child doesn't start playing their sport at the age of seven and play on a select team, they won't make the high school team. Mm. Now, we are my children don't go to that kind of school because Mm -hmm. I like to be in a school where if you want to play it, you can. Yeah. I mean, that was the original purpose, I think, of this. It was not college. But we have become a country where I mean, I've got kids I'm treating it that are coming home from college and their moms are getting them in as fast as they can because they have spent college tuition getting these kids ready 
pay for the sport. They've gotten a full ride and the kids burned out sophomore year. They don't want to do it anymore. Right. So when, and so we need to think about all these pressures that yeah. kids have the pressure to be like, it's, you know what, it's, it's the same pressure we're struggling with. And we think they're stressful. Families are struggling with finances. Families mm-hmm. have big worries. And here's what I know. You don't think your kids are listening, but they are. Mm-hmm. If they're not in bed asleep or you're not in a separate place when you're talking about your own worries, your kids are hearing them. Right. And some of them don't want to add their worries to your worries. Some of them are now worried about what you're worried about. Right. We've had kids in the office say, oh, no, mom, I don't need that. Because we don't know if dad's going to keep his job. Mm. Those are big worries for little bitty kids. Yeah. And then we get to the teenagers and we add so much more into play with them. We add relate boy-girl relationships into right. them. You know? <laughs> and none of us wants to go back and do that all over again, right? <laughs> like, that's not fun. We, we add jobs. We add, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Think about yeah. how stressful that is. You're right. We, We add opportunities to self-medicate with drugs and the reactions to those. We add, um, I want freedom. Parents want some control and responsibility. There's a lot of tension in that age range. We add seven teachers into the mix every day that all want something different from you. Right. We add hallways like the school I used to be in, 4,000 kids moving all at once. There were teachers who would not go into those hallways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At all. That's crazy. It is crazy. So when we don't think our kids are carrying around any stress, I think we're a little confused. And then we add in to the fact that some of our kids are going to school with kids who eventually won't be adults in jail. Hmm. And those people are aggressive mm-hmm. and they don't know how to control their emotions. And sometimes your child becomes the target of that. Mm-hmm. And that gets hard. Right. Or if your child's got some learning disabilities and this is there, when we put our kids in this educational setting, I love Dr. Kathy Cook's work on the different types of smarts. Not everybody's book smart, yeah. but that setting values book smart a lot. It values people smart. Some people are music smart. Some people Mm -hmm. are athletic smart. There's all these different smarts, but sometimes you can feel really less than Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're not excelling in that area. And here's what's getting harder. When I was growing up, you needed to be smart in one lane. Right. Now colleges are talking about this balanced look. Yeah. Which really means be good at it all, <laughs> which is really a lot of pressure. We're seeing this in the girls. It is a region. lot of pressure, right? Girls want to look like look like a beauty queen, play like a football player in athletics, and pull the grades of the most gifted kid. That's a lot of pressure. Most of us weren't built to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely a lot of pressure. Now, you know, with all those pressure, how how would you try to help these kids handle their emotions? Well, first, I think we got to give kids a right view, mm-hmm. to look through a right lens, a right yeah. So it has to start with us as parents saying, okay, this is a biblical worldview. This is a mm. non-biblical worldview. Right. The world values how you look, what you do, and who likes you. Yeah. But God has a purpose. He made you for a reason. You have a purpose in his kingdom. And your your calling is not to be like anyone else. It is to be the best you and the most like Jesus you you can become. And that has already all the the value in that was taken care of, you know, centuries ago. Yeah. 
And it, and our kids need that. Peace. Look at you. You just got kind of calm as I said that a little bit. <laughs> our kids need that peace. They need that confidence. They need that ability to say, you know what? It doesn't matter if you don't like me because mm-hmm. I'm loved. I, I have a purpose and you not liking me, I'm going to be nice to you, mm-hmm. but I don't have to fix all of that. Right. Because I can still fulfill my purpose, even if you don't like me. Right. I can still fulfill my purpose, even if I make a B instead of an A in a class. Yeah. I can still fulfill my purpose if I play tennis for fun and I never the number one ranked in the state. Right. And that's where I think we have to really, I think the time is the school age years to really, when the, you know, yours is a little young to do more than Jesus loves me. Yeah. But then when they get a little older, we need to cement into them a sense of self that's going to hold when it gets shaken by the not enough. Who are you? Are you better than me? Right. Well, look, even for my young daughter, I've had to tell her because I mean, we dealt with another difficult kid who sort of like it's a little bit hard on her on occasion socially um and she and she and she loves this kid you know she she loves this kid and every time before she sees her I have to prep her I said remember your God's creation and your God's child. If she doesn't want to do this, it's okay. And just remember that you're gentle, you're caring, you're kind, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And she would just think about it and she would just nod. And her day would be great. Even though after having a playtime, the other child may not necessarily be all that nice sometimes, but she understood that whatever it is, she'll still love. Right. So so that's identity. We work on identity first. Yeah. And then we work on skills. Mm -hmm. I think that's next. We work on skills and we also work on preparing them. I think the culture is really changing. We're really going to have to prepare our kids for the first time to really be in some different lanes. As we look at like, I mean, I'm in trainings and I want to be relevant here to your audience. Yeah. We have a huge push to allow kids to change their gender, parents to change the gender. Oh, gosh. Boom. I just did kids a podcast yesterday on that. Right now in the state of Texas, there's a proposal that would tell me that I would lose my license and be professionally un- being unprofessional if I counseled a kid to hold on to the gender that they came out of the womb in if they didn't want to. Are you serious? I'm serious. That oh is where, or, or if I counseled them to reconsider a same-sex attraction. as just Because here's what we think as a counseling center. But, Nobody but you but you're anything. based on a biblical point well, of view. Well, not only that, but here's the bigger thing. Kids are figuring out who they are. Right. See, none of us knew. Did you know who you were at 16? I certainly didn't. <laughs> no. So what we want to give kids permission to is to figure out who they are mm-hmm. without saying, well, if you dot, 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 then you are this. That is what the culture is trying to tell them. And we need to give our kids permission to try on hats, just like being a tomboy, being a girly girl, being all these different things that have mm-hmm. to do with our, our culture. But here's what's going on. We've got kids that are so miserable. They are thinking about taking the suicide rate is growing in this country and adolescents, right. even kids like 12 and 12 years old at a, an exponential rate. They are. This is what I tell kids when I go into school, like um, assemblies. Yeah. Death is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. That's mm-hmm. not what you want to do. 
Yeah. You've got a temporary problem. You're miserable. You're having friend troubles. You don't feel like you're measuring up at school. You feel rejected by the world that you're alone. That's a temporary problem that usually passes as we grow and we learn and we try new things and our parents get us some help and we work on our mindset and we work on our emotional regulation. There's so much involved. We work through trauma, maybe if we've been abused or something like that. And as that's growing, I think the culture is trying to figure out a way to help kids be less miserable, but I don't think the solution is become somebody you're not. Right. I think the solution is to become who you are and be at peace with that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to raise my kids to do, to, mm-hmm. to really become who they were created to be, not who I want them to be. Right. And, and that's hard content. for me. I mean, right. I'm a full ride on, I had a full ride to Baylor University. I was courted by colleges. Yeah. And my daughter is not as ambitious as me. Yeah does not care so much where she goes to school. A low A is as good as a high A to her <laughs> or a B, you know, it's just, she's made different than me. Right. And, I, and I think that's another thing I want to encourage parents is if you want your kids to thrive and be okay, then you need to be okay with the way they were made and how they are called to live. They may not need the same things or do the same things that you did or even the people that you admire and are friends with do. Yeah. And that is okay. Now, what if parents feel like he or she is not putting in enough effort? She's not doing her best. What if parents feel that way? And naturally, parents would get into the the ways of putting extra pressure on the child. But obviously, we don't want to put that pressure on the child. Um, How would you advise parents to attack that kind of situation? Like, I just don't feel like you're putting enough effort in your studies. Right. And I think the thing is, what do we like, I want my kids to put in effort, but I also want to be realistic. My daughter is also in theater. She leads a praise band at her school. She likes to be social. She is a super good friend. She gets up and reads her Bible in the morning. She's Mm -hmm. spiritually well-developed. Effort comes in a lot of different ways. Right. And so not everybody values academic effort Mm -hmm. the same. But I'll be honest with you, Sharon, I'm seeing less and less parent pressure And I'm seeing more and more of these kids putting the pressure on themselves. Yeah, of course. Uh, They're struggling with this this perfectionistic mindset. And also social media, too, plays a huge role in it because all their friends are on social media and everyone looks like they're from the perfect family. Uh. (laughs) Well, and I think this is where we've got to come in. And I do a presentation on this a lot for churches and for for like youth groups on Mm -hmm and equipping parents. My daughter, when we talked about social media, the purpose of that is not to compare. Right. It's not to get the likes, even though her mother's literally trying to sell books. So I'm trying to like up my Instagram numbers, you know, (laughs) so it's an ironic world that she and I are living in. One thing I'm so excited about her is, is she really sees social media as a way to encourage others, which Mm -hmm. we're called to do. Yeah. Social media is a great place to be light in the darkness, to share like God's love. And I love some of the things I see her share with her peers about how much God loves them and you can't mess up bad enough for him not to and things like that. So I think we really need to train and equip our kids that if they're going to go out into that world, which has a very worldview, Mm -hmm that they need to be prepared with a different agenda. And that's where I think people always ask me, what age should you let them have it? 
I think it has very little to do with their age. Yeah. I think it, my question is, how well is your child's identity formed in Christ? Amen. Because when that is solid, yeah, I can live in that world and not be of it. Right. right? It's hard. And I still need some reminders and some good checks from some friends. Yeah, of course. But I can do it. And, and I think our kids can too. Yeah. I also would never want that to be the center of anybody's world. That should be a facet. Right. And and that's something people ask me all the time, like right now. So when you deal with emotional self-regulation, which you were asking me about, how do we help our kids manage emotions? Yeah. One of the favorite ways people like to do that is distraction. It's very helpful. There are other good ways. We talked about self-talk is another way to manage your emotions. Yeah. Um, self-regulation, breathing. It's crazy as it sounds. I should probably tell you the story because your daughter's about this age. So when my daughter was four. I picked her up from preschool one day and the teachers were like, oh, you got to pull over. We got something to tell you. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> you know. So, and so they said, okay, so there's this boy who gets in trouble a lot in preschool and he is like climbing all over the room and he ends up in their timeout chair. So my daughter, who's four, walks up to him and says, you know, his name. And she says, hey, I know this sounds really crazy, but we don't have a timeout chair in our house. We have a calm down step. And when I get really upset in the car and I try to talk, my mom tells me my brain's not working. And the way you can make it work is by breathing. And I know this sounds crazy because we breathe all the time. Mom told me this, but you breathe in one, two, three and out one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And it'll make your brain start working again. And she said, if you do that, you'll probably get out of that chair quicker. And then she went off to play. She went off to her center and played dress up. And the preschool teacher said to her assistant, the counselor's daughter has spoken. You know? (laughs) I love that. But really and truly, we need to equip our kids with these skills that are not natural to us. It is not natural for me to Right. I don't know about you. It's not natural for me to clear my mind and give myself a pep talk and those kind of things. And then we also need to make sure that I think that the enemy's not lying to our kids. Right. And an example I will give to you is this. One time that same little girl looked at me like I I literally like said to her a couple of words. We're at the bottom of the step. We're not in the calm down step. We just happen to be at the bottom of it. And I say, she looks like I literally stabbed her in the heart. So I said to her, what did you hear me say? She said that I never do anything right. And I'm the worst kid ever. Oh, I'm a counselor. Do you think I said that to my kid? I mean, I have lost it sometimes, but not to that level. Right. right. I said to her, that is not what I said. I said, your shoes have been down here on the bottom step (laughs) for three days. And I have asked you for three days to pick up your shoes. You are an amazing kid. I love you. You rarely do anything wrong, but I do want you to pick up your shoes. Oh my gosh. That's so good of you to wait three days. You should see my house. I just, I can give anybody, everybody always asks me like, what's my spiritual gift in the neighborhood? And I'm like, I have the spiritual gift of encouraging you to believe you are a great housekeeper. Come over to my house at any time. There is so much chaos. You will go home to your house and think, man, this isn't that bad. I'm doing pretty good today. So, yes, that I, I do have a little bit of that age personality and I'm an Audi. I like to see things out to remember to use them and do them. Yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And I just committed when the kids, well, even before the kids were young, when I was single, that I'm not going to not socialize and have people over and run around. Like, I don't know if you did this when you were little, but my mom would be like, so-and-so's coming over. Everybody start grabbing stuff and throwing it. You know, I don't want to do that. I just right, want right. to see us and people come over. And if the chaos bothers you too much, we'll go outside or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Um, You know, you shared so many great things and we're 
almost at the end of the show, but I wanted to hear from you. Are there anything else that you would like to share with other gems of mothers out there? I think the main thing I want to tell moms right now is a lot of you are asking yourselves, what could I do better? Mm -hmm. Or what's wrong with my kid? Or what could be better with my kid? And I want to challenge you to think about asking instead, what am I doing well? What's going well in our family? What's going well with my kid? Because we can get real myopic and really narrow our focus. We can start sweating the small stuff like the shoes at the stairs. Right. And we can realize, you know, that kid may be making a B plus, but that kid is doing all these other things so well. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage you to celebrate your motherhood, um, celebrate your your kids mm-hmm. and, and their strengths because that's so important and it brings a blessing upon them to yeah. want to, you know, to just be who they were created to be. And then also, I want to let you know, this is my criteria and I'll just share this with y'all. So uh, after 20 years of counseling kids and families, and ha- right now I have 15 counselors at our center. So I supervise, I mean, we've got hundreds of families coming through. I always say to myself, if it has not been a presenting problem, then if it doesn't need therapy, I'm okay as a mom, right? So here's the thing. I'm going to miss my daughter's play this weekend. I hate it, but I had a commitment to a speaking engagement in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm flying out this weekend. Yeah. I'm going to make the dress rehearsal. I talked to the teacher. She knows what's going on. I'm going to get to see her dress rehearsal. No kid goes to therapy because mom missed one play, but... Kids whose parents are never there and who aren't emotionally and physically present with them, that is a reason to go to counseling. So one mess up mama, let it go. You blow your top one time. No kid goes to therapy because their parent blew their top one time or even once a month. Kids go to therapy due to frequency and intensity. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that. And that's a good way to tell if our kids are doing okay. I'll, I'll, I'll end with that. Look at how often the problem is, and is it getting worse and if it's getting better? If it's truly starting to get worse, it might be time to get some help. And you know what? We counselors are busy right now, no doubt, but we are happy to provide a mental health checkup for you. Mm. I have had one mom, she brought her boy in and I'm like, he's great. He's fine. You're an extrovert. He's an introvert. He only has two friends, but they're good friends and he's doing well. And she's like, best check I've ever written, you know, because yeah, yeah. her mom worries off. So it, I think build a relationship with us. We, we are not people that treat just illness. We're here to help you with your health, your yeah. mental health and with your kids' mental health. And we want to be there to support you during difficult times. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Michelle. I think you guys play such a huge role, especially in today's society. I feel like we probably had like a generational gap where we didn't even have these resources. You know, I mean, it was probably there, but just not as known as- Yeah, and it's accessible. It's getting more- Right, accessible, exactly. And I'm so glad that you do what you do. And I thank you so much for just being such an awesome counselor and just doing the work that you do because it's so needed, especially in today's world, especially the past year and the following years, because I'm sure everything that has already impacted the children will kind of translate down even more so down the road. So thank you so much for what you do. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope everybody has a great, great week as they listen to this and go back and listen to some of your other episodes. You've got some great information on the Gems of Motherhood for sure. 
Thank you. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Gems of Motherhood podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more amazing Gems of Mothers and more resources, head over to gemsofmotherhood.com where you can subscribe to the show. That's where you'll find show notes with actionable tips and any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I hope you'll find inspiration and learn to cultivate your own journey. You are loved. You're an incredible gem to God. He knows you intimately. He knows what you're going through and he knows what you need. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in him. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.